It is so good to be with you this morning. My name is Peter. I am also one of the pastors here at Church of the Cross. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in the sight of God, my rock and my redeemer. On May 8th of this year, the life of Asfa Yemiru ended. He was either 78 or 79 years old. Born a child of the street in Ethiopia, Yemiru, for the early part of his life, begged and hustled on the streets of Addis Abba. And that life took a dramatic change when a wealthy benefactor generously paid for his housing and education. As a teenager, Yemiru started, while in school himself, his own school called Footsteps of the Apostles as a way to pass on that education that he was receiving to other street children in the city in Ethiopia. The school began in an empty lot, eventually was a few ramshackle classrooms, and grew and grew. The school became his life's work, for which he was celebrated and honored. In 2001, Yemenru received the World Children's Prize. By any measure, his life was extraordinary. His obituary appeared in the Telegraph in the United Kingdom. I read it in The Economist. What is, perhaps, most notable to me was the depth and breadth of his life's work, the depth of his perseverance in a decade-over-decade commitment to the work of building this school, and the breadth, both in terms of the scope of those impacted, Some 120,000 students passed through footsteps of the apostles. But also the breadth in terms of his generosity. That at the age of 14, he was moved to pass forward what he had generously received and kept doing so for the entirety of his life. Remarkable. In his sermon on Romans chapter 4, our reading for this morning, The famous German preacher Walter Luthi structures his thoughts around the repeated lament, what small hearts we have. What small hearts. So doubtful, so unenthusiastic, so prone to make narrow what God has made wide, he writes. What small hearts. Alongside the obituary for Yemaru, that lament also resonates with me today. As I consider my own small heart, my own feeble faith, my own tendency to narrow the wideness of God's mercy. Perhaps it resonates with you as well. A certain smallness of heart is the target of the Apostle Paul's argument in our text today. Following immediately on from our reading last week, which emphasized that the righteousness of God is available Apart from works, the works of the law, Paul anticipates this objection, or at least a question, that his fellow Jewish followers of Jesus might have. What of Abraham? What of our forefather as the people of God? Surely his unique relationship with God, his unique place in history, has some bearing on who is in and who is out, who belongs, who is included. At the time of Paul's writing, in Jewish tradition, there was this strain of thought 
that saw Abraham's unique relationship with God, this special call he receives in Genesis 12, the promise he receives to be a blessing to the nations, was all a product of his remarkably upright, obedient, righteous life. One source from this time suggests that Abraham perfectly followed the law even prior to the Torah being given on Mount Sinai. And the whole idea in this strain of thought is that the basis for God's choosing of Abraham, of his loving kindness toward him, was Abraham's obedience. The argument for Jewish Christians here that Paul anticipates or at least outlines is not that they too would have been marked by such extraordinary obedience, but that through their descent from Abraham, they had this privileged place among the people of God, a leg up, if you will. To be a daughter or son of Abraham as a Jew, that was the means by which they were then included with the people of God. This was a privileging of their own lineage that rendered Gentile followers, the followers of the nations, as somewhat second-class citizens, excluded to the degree they didn't conform to Jewish expectation or practice. Much of Romans is about navigating this question. How do the people of God live together? And Paul's response here to this anticipated view, this suggested line of thinking, this potential question, is to describe Abraham, this revered ancestor, the revered forefather of the people of God, as the father of ungodliness in some way. As the father of the ungodly, as one writer has put it. He doesn't so much drag Abraham's name through the mud, though the biblical story of Abraham's life is full of opportunity to do so. But he provides this short history lesson. He clarifies the sequence of events in Abraham's life. Abraham's special status, his unique relationship to God, is not the product of works, of the law, or of any other kind. Even the practice of circumcision, all of that follows from God's choosing of Abraham. Abraham being credited as righteous is detached from his work. Even if he did live an exemplary life, Paul writes, that's no cause for boasting before God. Such is God's standard, such is God's holiness. As we saw last week, even the most righteous of human lives fall short of the glory of God, fall short of his glorious standards and intentions. God's choosing of Abraham was not the result of Abraham's perfect, righteous obedience. Paul seeks to humble Abraham here, and perhaps vicariously for us to humble us. This humbling reality is the beginnings of a broadened and more generous heart. The narrowness or smallness of heart is what occurs when we mistake the gift of God for a birthright or a paycheck. This is Paul's point in verse 4. That which is given on account of what we've done is an obligation. It's earned. We don't thank our employer for the wages due us. They're ours. And Paul is putting his finger here on a deficiency in the belief that we might be good enough, that we might work for our own salvation, our own place among the people of God. It invariably leads to this sense of entitlement to this narrowing and this posturing about who is in and who is out. 
It leads to a diminished sense of God's generosity and kindness. It leads to a diminished heart. There's this Benfold song from a few years ago that has this sung refrain, why you gotta act like you know when you don't know. In that lyric, I hear this refusal to take the L, to take the loss, as we might say, to admit one's own shortcomings, one's own lack, one's own ignorance, because that's not a fun thing to do. It pierces our pride. It, it, means we acknowledge our dependence on others. It means admitting our own weakness and failure. In our reading from Genesis 3, we see Adam with a similar kind of posturing that Ben Folds sings about. He avoids accountability. He literally runs away. And then when confronted, he deflects, right? He evades responsibility. It's because of the woman you put, me, put here with me. We can all, I suspect, identify with that posture because... Remorse, humility, and acknowledgement of our failures are not fun. They're difficult. They mess with our sense of self, the persona we project in the world, the persona we try to uphold, of having it together, of being enough, of belonging. This can be especially difficult for people such as us in this room, largely successful, largely good enough when it comes to the standards of the world, largely in. And this is often where the poor, the marginalized, have a leg up. They are less likely to suffer the same delusions. If there is one thing I would encourage you to do this morning, that your heart might increase with the grace of God, it is simply this. Embrace your ungodliness. It's a weird thing maybe for a priest to say. So better yet, <laughs> embrace the fact of your ungodliness. Own the loss. Own the reality that your life, as one writer has put it, is more farce and tragedy than it is an upward victorious ascent. That your life and being are marked by contradiction, divided loyalties, sin and weakness. Own the fact that you are not enough. That before the living God you have no claim. This is the beginning of blessing. Abraham is not the only pillar of Jewish history that Paul draws on in his argument. In verses 6 to 8, he makes reference to the witness of David, himself this exemplary figure in the history of the people of God, himself marked by very real sin and failure. And he specifically refers to Psalm 32, this Psalm of David. These lines of blessing, their beatitudes, blessed, happy, fortunate, congratulations, not to the striving righteous, not to the white-knuckling law abiders, not to those with a pristine exterior. No congratulations to those whose transgressions are forgiven, those whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord will not count against them. The language here in our translation is a little bit tepid, I have to admit. Other translations render this lawless deeds, crimes, no small things, wrongs. And Psalm 32 goes on in the verses that follow to celebrate the power of confession, of owning the reality of our ungodliness, of confessing it 
naming what we are often silent about, what we keep hidden in the dark. The psalmist goes on, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Some of us this morning are deep in the thrall of hidden sin, wondering if we can make it another week keeping appearances up. Some of us here are weary from holding up this shield, this projection of our goodness, of having it all together. All of us come today numbered with the ungodly. And to remain in that place, silent and hidden, with the shield up behind the veneer, you lucky bums, for yours it is to receive the gift, the covering of your uncovered transgressions, the forgiveness of your sins. Yours it is to belong with God among the giants of the faith where you're not worthy to stand by your own works. We all enter by grace. The quote that Paul uses here, these words of blessing, connects, of course, with the Beatitudes of Jesus. Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who know their poverty, the poverty of their own situation, who know their own lack. The path into the kingdom, the place of belonging with Jesus, with the people of God, is wide open to those who own the fact that they do not have a claim. Doing this, owning this, confessing, this is an act of trust. That God is merciful, as our psalm this morning said. That he delights to forgive sinners, that he will be gracious. To confess and own this reality is to trust that a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. So be encouraged today, specifically in the practice of confession, thoroughgoing, exacting. And I would specifically encourage you to confession in the presence of someone else, a priest, a trusted friend. Be quick to own the L of sin in your life. Not as a practice of like rubbing your nose in it, not that you would feel bad, but that you would experience the grace of God, the free gift, that the power of sin would be diminished in your life as what is done in the dark is brought into the light. That your heart, like the Grinches, would grow to three times its size with the certainty of God's goodness. My prayer today is that in these moments, now, the Holy Spirit would convict and would bring about to us, reveal to us the knowledge of our sin, that our knowledge of God's grace might increase all the more. That our sense of belonging in him, with him, in his mercy, would grow. Abraham trusted the Lord and set out in faith far from his home. To follow in his footsteps now, today, is to leave behind the trust we might have in our own native goodness and to cast ourselves on the never-failing, always gracious arms of the Lord. 
Trusting his loving kindness will carry us through. Trusting that his grace is sufficient. By any standard, Asfa Yemiru lived a remarkable life. Exemplary. No doubt he was this extraordinary individual, gifted, capable of accomplishing amazing things. Yet what stood out in the multiple obituaries that I read was the mention that Yemaru's life was marked, in his own opinion, as remarkably lucky. In his words, that he was blessed by God. His own self-conception was that of someone who had received much, who had been graced. I don't know a great deal about Yemaru's theological beliefs, though he seems to have been connected with the Catholic Church in Ethiopia. But I can tell you with sure conviction that the sense that he had of being graced, of being blessed by God, of being a lucky bum, was at the root of his remarkable life and accomplishments. The depth and breadth of them is rooted there. The wideness of his heart, his generosity, found there in the sense of the grace that he had received. These kind of actions for the poor in the service of others, for their flourishing, these are the seal of righteousness received by faith. They're not the source of righteousness. That's righteousness earned. But they're the seal, the sign, the fruit of righteousness credited to us as God's free gift. That word credited or reckoned appears eight times in our verses this morning, eight out of a total of 19 in the entirety of Romans. And that word speaks of God's normative judgment, that those who trust in Jesus are righteous. It's norm-creating. It produces a new heart, a new life, new works. Those who come in faith being ungodly, being unworthy, are rendered righteous. That is yours. It belongs to you as you come in faith. This morning, is your heart small? Smaller than you'd like? Is your generosity, your care, thin and narrow? Do you long to be better than you are? To live as a saint like Asfa Yemeru, but in your own life, your own place? The task for you is not today to work harder or to set out on some new religious project, good as that might be. Rather, yours is to follow in the footsteps of Father Abraham and set your trust in the Lord and his promises, who is ever gracious, who delights to forgive. Own your ungodliness. Confess it. Bring it into the light, the light of the risen Lord, that you might today taste and see that he is good, that you might live righteousness credited, not obligated, not earned. And when you do that, when you stand there as one unworthy yet belonging, you're blessed, you're happy, you're fortunate, you lucky bum. Yours is the kingdom of heaven, and yours too is a larger and greater heart, swelled with the goodness and grace of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.